We'll be starting uh, Romans chapter 4 this morning, going from verses 1 to 4. Last week we finished up Romans 3, in which Paul summed up the fact that justification is by faith alone, apart from works. Verses 1 through 8, we saw God's righteous judgment. 9 to 20, we see that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 21 to 26, the righteousness of God demonstrated through faith in Christ, being justified freely by his grace. And last week, 27 to 31, Paul engages in this imaginary Q&A with the readers. In six questions and answers, he tells us we have no right to boast in the works of the law since it's all by faith. And since I can't go one Sunday without quoting Ephesians 2, we'll do it this morning because it really summarizes salvation beautifully here. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. So not of ourselves, not, not of works, he's saying salvation is, salvation, grace, and faith, all three of those are gifts from God. And works, verse 10 there, is a byproduct of salvation. The ability to even do any good works is a gift from God. It all flows from him. So this, then there's sanctification is the process by which we are being made more Christ-like. Uh, the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the Word of God is conforming us to be more Christ-like. And the older I get, the, the more I realize how slow of a process it actually is. And, I, I, and as believers, you have this new desire and this new inclination toward the things of the Lord and, and, and what pleases Him. What pleases our Father, I get, you know, we get frustrated and like, Lord, you know this, you know this is not what pleases you. You can take this away, so why don't you? Have you ever had that conversation? It's, but we want, we want it now. It just doesn't work like that, apparently. And Paul had the same problem. He said, he said uh, in Romans 7, he tells us he, he does not do the things that he should, but does the things in which he hates. And it's paraphrased, obviously, but he's, he's saying that he still, he still f- fails. But Paul leans on grace. We need to remember that. We're just saying amazing grace. The law and grace go hand in hand. You cannot grasp the idea of grace. You can't understand grace fully apart from the law. Just like we sang this song, the second line, that saved a wretch like me. How would you even know you're a wretch apart from the law? How would you know where you fall short? And it goes right back to grace. You see where you fall short and it goes back to grace. The law is absolutely necessary as Paul finished chapter 3 by saying, we uphold it. We establish the law. The law tells us who we are, who we were, and helps us to understand and appreciate this great grace all the more. 
Now we're entering into chapter 4, and Paul goes on to drive that point of justification by faith by pointing to the most highly revered figure in Judaism, Abraham. Writer Flannery O'Connor stated, Making grace believable to the contemporary reader is, is the almost insurmountable problem of the novelist who writes from the standpoint of Christian orthodoxy. It's a hard thing to grasp. It's a hard thing to make people understand. I've ministered to people that are struggling. I'm like, it's grace. It's grace. When you stumble, there's grace. And then there's grace upon grace upon grace. There's more grace than, than you can fathom. That's why it's hard to understand. And as I get older, I really, it seems to get harder to understand grace because I see what a failure I am sometimes. And I don't understand why this great God, this righteous God, would choose someone like me because I fail so miserably. But, but this quest for understanding that, that we go through in this process of sanctification, you fall, you confess it, grace poured out over and over and over. It helps us appreciate it all the more. So Paul points to Abraham because the Jewish readers here would first point to him also in an attempt to say that we're justified by works because they believe that Abraham was justified by works. And we'll, we'll dive into that more. So if making grace believable to the contemporary reader is, is almost impossible, as Miss O'Connor says, what must have Paul been thinking? Because this is brand new to him, and then he's writing a letter trying to explain this to new believers, and obviously it's a work of the Holy Spirit, but you've got to think Paul must have been a little taken back. So Abraham's the forefather of the faith. He would have been the most influential figure for the Jews. They always referred to him as our father Abraham, our father Abraham. But I would ask now if you are able, please stand and read with me as we give honor to God's word, his infallible, authoritative, living word. Romans 4, 1 through 4. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham is justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. O merciful fathers, we work your way through your glorious word, this bread of life, and as we break it, we just ask you that you would nourish us with it. Lord, feed us with your, your holy word. Lord, I, I ask that you would help me this morning. As more I learn about grace, the more unworthy I, I am. I realize that I am. Lord, let your word go out and accomplish all that you set it forth to do. We love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name we all pray and all of God's children said, So what then shall we say that? So what then or therefore you could say 
we understand and agree that Abraham was a justified man in the sight of God. The Jew and the, and, and, and the Christian would agree with that, that fact. Abraham's testimony, being the founder of the faith, would have carried a lot of weight in this, in this debate. So if Paul swayed them on the idea of Abraham being justified by faith to the Jewish readers, this was how he's going to do it. Well, let's look at John 8. Go down to verse 33. It says, And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and never have been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides in the house forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. So they referred to him as their father. In other words, we know better. We're, we're this bloodline. We're a descendant of the father of the faith. So we've got it figured out. Now, how dare you, Jesus, to tell us otherwise? This is that our Abraham, our father, was found according to the flesh. Abraham was the forefather of God's first covenant with his chosen people, Israel, here. So he's a pretty big deal. He was the standard of what a Jew, genuine Jew is. And all of Israel came from him, and, and what it was true concerning him for justification had to be true for all of his descendants. According to the flesh, not only refers to his lineage, but was it... It is a means of justification. Was it his justification according to the flesh? Obviously not. So it kind of had a double, double meaning there. Paul just went through that Jew and Gentile both are justified by faith apart from any human effort according to the flesh. Isaiah 51, 1 and 2 says, Abraham is a rock from which God carved his people. God swore a covenant with Abraham and promised him countless descendants. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12 here. We're going to read 1 to, 1 to 9, Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah, Sarah his wife, and his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moriah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land, and there will 
There he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel and on the west and, and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called, the name, called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. So there's an idea among the, the Jews that Abraham had served. He had started serving God at the age of three. So the first mention of Abraham is Genesis 11, verse 27. And there's no mention of his age other than 75 years, which we saw here in chapter 12. Abram is 75 years old. God promises him descendants, which would imply that he's going to have some children, which would be a miracle in of itself. So you go over to Genesis 15. We'll read 1 through 6. It says, After these things, a word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born of my house in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall be your descendants. And he believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So Abraham says, Lord, I'm old. One of my servants is going to inherit all my stuff because you, you know, there's no kids. I have no kids. He's kind of rebuking God almost. And God spoke, says, like, no, your descendants are going to number more than the star, or the number of the stars, if you can count them, which would be innumerable for a human. In verse 6, he said, and he believed, then what he, capital, he, Yahweh, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. So it says he believed and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So back in chapter 12, Abraham lied to, uh, he lied to Pharaoh saying that his wife was his sister, right? <laughs> so he, how is he, how is he counted righteous, but based on what so he he's a he's a liar and we go on to learn that he does some other other things and all it says is he believed that's it abraham believed Amon can also be translated faithful or faith here in genesis the jews would point to this faithfulness or believing and say so because he the abraham possessed this faith then God counted it as righteousness. He, he, he had that, my Armenian friends, uh, I'd be like my Armenian friends' uh, idea that faith comes from within us when it, when it does not. True saving faith does not, I should say. So back in chapter 12, Abraham believed and trusted in God. He left his family behind, and, or at least most of it. He, he, he took Lot and Sarah and, and Lot's wife. And if you think about when Jesus chose his disciples, he just walked by and he's like, hey, you come with me. And it doesn't say they went home and packed their things. It doesn't say they said bye to their families or got their affairs in order. It says they left what they were doing, dropped it immediately, and went and followed him. 
And I, I, I only imagine that this is the same with Abraham. God said it, he believed it, and he's, he's doing it. So then in chapter 16, Abraham loses trust in, in God and, and has a child with one of his servants, Hagar, who, who had Ishmael, or begat Ishmael, if, if you want to put, put it biblically, at the advice of his wife. So his wife's like, I'm, not, I'm old. This ain't happening. Take Hagar, have a kid, right? Wasn't a good idea. So Abraham is a liar, and then after being counted righteous, an adulterer, did, did God count him unrighteous at this point? Did he say, oh, man, you lost it. You know, we had, to get, we had a thing going, but you messed up. You're a liar. You abandoned your wife. Now you're an adulterer. You know, that's three, that's three strikes right there. So, no, he, he just kept going right on with the promise. He, he kept moving forward with the promise he had made to Abraham. He was 100 years old, and Sarah was now 90. And God promised him a son. In Genesis 22, Abraham's faith is confirmed. He has a son. We'll read from 1 to 14. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early and saddled his donkey and took up took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place in which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for, the, for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my, God, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went up together. And they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in the order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid, on him, laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord called upon him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And it is said, to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So he tells Abraham, all right, this son that I just gave you, I want you to take him up on this mountain. 
I want you to slit his throat, put him on a pile of wood, and I want you to offer him up to me. Could you imagine (laughs) the promise that has been fulfilled in your son by the one you trusted, and he says, I want you to take him and offer him to me. Kill him. He gets the son. And he, he's, he's willing to do it. But Abraham remembered the promise of many descendants. In verse 11 here it says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Angel is a capital A. It's interesting. It's, it's Christ. So this is a foreshadowing of what was going to happen in Christ. And Christ is there to stop Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. Isaac would be the lineage of Christ, <laughs> the one that would be born from their loins, shows up and says, don't do it. He's counted faithful. The difference between Christ and, and or what God did and what Abraham did is that no one stopped him. He, he poured out on his wrath on his only son. So according to Hebrews 11, verse 19, Abraham believed God that would restore his son back to life. On down to verses 15 through 18, it says, Then the angel of the Lord, which is Christ, the Lord is all caps, God, Father, Yahweh, called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as of the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He's not talking about Isaac. He's talking about Christ. And that's what Galatians 3.16 reads. If you want to turn there, we can, we can read it together. Now Abraham said, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he does not say, and two seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Abraham's seed, and this long lineage of fathers leading up to Christ on Mary's side. Paul's reference in this verse, back in, in Genesis, the blessing is justification or salvation or and salvation through Christ. Abraham was willing to sacrifice. God intervened.
Abraham was called a friend of God in James 2.23 and 2 Chronicles 27. The Jews thought of Abraham as the epitome of faith. The reality was he was a, a liar and a coward and abandoning his wife and, and, an, and an adulterer. They, they conveniently forgot those things. I guess you, you, don't, you don't think about your hero's shortcomings, only their accomplishments. So Abraham receives zero according to the flesh. Why? For if Abraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. So the big if here is that if a man could be justified by works before God, then, he, then yes, he would have something to boast about because I've accomplished something. I've, I've fed the hungry and ministered to the poor in some way, or I did this, or I, I, I. If he obtained the, the justification by human effort, then faith is non-existent. But Paul goes on to say, but not before God. God knew his condition, yet still counted him righteous. Why? Because he believed. Boasting ex is excluded, as we learned last week. Abraham could boast for, before men in, in his in his works, he could say, I've done X, Y, or Z in his obedience to God, but it would not win him favor with God. So, James chapter 2, I feel like I need to go there because <laughs> it almost says the antithesis of it, of what we're going over, but Lord willing, we will understand that a little better too. James 2.21 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works then when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith. So we just got finished saying it's not of works, so this is... A well-read atheist or an ignorant Christian would say this is a contradiction. And we went through James years ago. Or someone heavy on the law would see this as a gotcha moment. You know, that, see, you, you must have works and faith working together, as the, maybe the lordship crowd would, would say. But let's go back up to verse 14 in James here. and It says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is a profit? Thus, by, thus also by faith, if it does not have works, is dead. So, as I mentioned earlier, good works is, is a byproduct of, of, of justification, is saving faith. And, it says, what is a prophet? I can say I have faith, but my actions say that I, my faith is alive. If I meet someone that has something, then I can minister to them with what I have, and I say, well, we'll pray for you. You know, go and be warm. What, what, does, that, what does that profit? My faith is a lie. I can say... 
I love Jesus, but if I don't love people, is that, is that true? It'd be like me saying that I'm a mechanic and never fixing a car. It could say, like, I, I'm an electrician and I can't make the lights come on, a, a plumber and I can't fix a toilet. And, and that's the ultimate taking of God's name in vain. If I say I'm something and, and, and it's not, it's not reflected in my actions, if I say I have faith, it's in vain. If you say I'm a Christian, a little Christ, a, a dim reflection of this great Savior, and I don't love or try to love as he, he did or does, you've taken the Lord's name in vain. In verses 15 to 16, it says a brother indicating we are dealing with, with Christians taking the name of Christ and not being Christ-like is what James is addressing here. Verse 17 says, thus also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So you're, if I'm a welder, I should be able to weld that kind of scenario. It's the same with Abraham. The works of Abraham were evidence of genuine faith. He trusted God. He was going to do what God said. If you wanted to understand James better, you want to swap out the word fruit with works because we're all about that fruit word, you know, like evidence of someone's genuine faith. You could do that. I wouldn't say leave it permanently, but I think it's a way to understand Abraham was a faithful servant, obviously, but God owed him nothing. God owes us nothing. We're owed justice. Now Paul goes back, and we've already read this, Genesis. For what does it what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Abraham being the father of the, the Jewish and Christian faith, he understood that not even he was justified by works. Not, not this great figure, this pillar of the faith was justified by works. As we mentioned last week, we're all sons and heirs according to the promise of Abraham. Christians are, are heirs, just like the Jews, according to the promise of Abraham, which started with his justification by faith, which was a gift from God from the beginning. When dealing with the Pharisees in John 8, Jesus said, stated before Abraham was, I am. Then down in verse 56, right before he punched them in the mouth with, with the, the saying, I am, which is to say, I am God, he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and when he saw it, he was, was glad in it. He refers to Abraham as your father in a liberal, literal sense, as in the bloodline, but he goes on to say in verse 44, He'd, or he had just told them previously in their in their father your father is the devil <laughs> so their spiritual father satan their their biological father goes all the way back to abraham so this abraham he was looking forward to the promise of a redeemer that started back in genesis 3 at the at the fall and he, he knew that god would provide a lamb a final sacrifice in hebrews 11 that faith hall of fame
8 to 12, I think it is. By Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out in the place when he would receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which, was, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also conceived, or received strength to conceive, seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. There's therefore from one man and him as good as dead, who had borne many as the stars in the sky and the multitude, innumerable, innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. By faith Abraham did what? Obeyed. He went out with a promise of an inheritance. By faith. He didn't know where he was going, but he trusted by faith. By faith he went to a foreign land with Isaac and Jacob. By faith he waited for a city built by God. Sarah by faith was made to conceive. Verse 12, a man as good as dead had innumerable amount of children. Abraham had never even heard of this God. He was foreign, this Yahweh. Yet God chose him. And without debate, by faith, he trusted God. Abraham came from Ur, Chaldea. It was very pagan and polytheistic, multiple, multiple gods. He was raised pagan, lived as a pagan until God chose him. He chose Abraham for no other reason other than he chose him. He could have picked any number of the pagans anywhere and accomplished the same thing. I was reading online Hebrew College says that uh, God waits for Abraham and Abraham merits to be chosen because of his faithfulness. Here Abraham is chosen because he possesses superior logic above anyone else in his generation. He is able to reason his way toward an understanding of God, this ability earns him the right to be called upon by God. That's from Hebrew College. They're teaching people that. Not too far from what we hear today. Remember the song I told you about that I was listening to? I thank God every day that I was smart enough to choose Jesus. All right? It's not much different. So Abraham is first mentioned in, in Genesis eleven twenty seven In Genesis 12, 1, God tells Abraham to leave his country with the, with the promise that God alone would do exactly that, right? In the five verses before God spoke to Abraham after he was first mentioned, it says nothing about any of his superior logic or his faithfulness or his reasoning toward God or his ability to learn the, the, this right to be called by God. The non, non-reformed do this. This is not foreign to us. It's have faith in faith type mindset, and then they then be faithful in maintaining it. Just just be faithful. And you, you have no clue what you're faithful to because you're still trying to achieve it by works. And God promised Abraham, and Abraham understood, and I can only think that this is the Holy Spirit working in Abraham because if... 
this being showed up and said, hey, I'm gonna need you to pack up and leave. And just trust me, just leave everything behind, just go. In and of myself, I wouldn't be like, seems legit, was, all right, whatever. I, got, I wasn't doing anything anyway. That would, that would have to be, something within me would have to agree with the, what, what he was saying for me to, to agree to do it, right? It's the same. It's the same for us. God is faithful. He believed. He had faith. And it was counted to him as righteousness. I was trying to, you know, you, you, wanna, you wanted to try to obviously help people understand you know, grace and faith. And like I said, it's, it's hard. But I was trying to think of a way to, to, to make it plain. And you, you think of marriage. I mean, my wife knows that I'm faithful. She has faith in my faithfulness. She understands that her faith comes from me. I gifted that to her because I, I said exactly, I do exactly what I say I'm going to do. I'm not faithful because she has faith that I am. It doesn't work backwards. My Armenian friend wanted me to give him a ride one day, and he was the same one that thinks that he possesses faith in and of himself. And I was like, well, I was going to give you a ride, correct? And he says, yeah. I said, and, and you understood that I was going to come and pick you up, and you, you had confidence in that. And he said, yeah. And I was like, so where did that confidence come from? Was it a gift for me, or did you just magically conjure up some kind of idea that I was, you know, well, I, I trust you because of evidence. And I was like, where'd the evidence come from? You know, just, and it was, it was like I could have hit myself in the head with a brick and got the same outcome. But faith comes from faithfulness no matter what. Like, so, just like my wife, God gives us faith. And he's faithful. He's faithful in keeping his promises. He did with Abraham. This accounted to him for righteousness. It's interesting. It's also accounted in the Greek as logizomai. It means to count, take into account, to pass to one's account, to impute. His believing or having faith in this, this faithful one, this Yahweh that granted him faith, this imputed righteousness, legally accrediting to his account. So this was a double imputation made for Abraham. Christ took on his sin and Christ's righteousness was imputed to him. Abraham was chosen, same as we are, by a pure act of grace, that amazing grace. God's sovereign elect of grace. Zero room for Abraham to boast. We can't say, well, woke up, I wised up, got smart. I think I'm going to follow Jesus. See how it plays out. It's, nope, it's like the disciples. You're coming with me. You don't even have time to go home and say goodbye to your family. You don't have time to pack up. Clothes on your back. You're following. It says, now to him who works. Some translations read, now to the one who works. I think that helps you better understand it that way. 
this faith required for salvation, just saying that I have faith has no power to save in and of itself. True saving faith is a work of God. It is the power of grace working through faith on the basis of the atoning work of Christ resulting in justification. You are made right in God's eyes by grace through faith. Saving faith is completely apart from human works. I don't know how to phrase it any other way. And you think about the idea of if someone works, something is owed. Right? If I fix your car, you, you owe me something. You'll pay me if I'm lucky. So the wages... You're saying, I did something. You're owed something. If a man were capable of saving themselves, there'd be no grace. What would be the point? There'd be no, no grace, and Christ had died in vain. What would be the point? If these righteous works were achievable by men, then salvation is not a gift, but what? The wages. So works righteousness would do away with grace and rob God of his glory. That is one of the most glory-robbing things is to say that I, I had something to do with my salvation. If all creation was made for his glory and human effort and salvation is the, the highest of robbery from God, sinful man could never, never, and will never, attain the righteous standard of a holy God. And goes on to say, and not count it as grace. Again, work demands wages. You cannot earn a gift. Right? It doesn't happen. I've received several gifts in the last month. Very nice things that I am grateful for from somebody that doesn't really know me that well. There's no chance I could have earned it. If you could earn a gift, it makes a gift not a gift. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. And are gifts from God. No boasting. And goes on to say, but it's debt. Paul says, if by works were even achievable, then God owes you. Does God owe you? Is God indebted to any man? No. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. You can't earn it, can't maintain it. You can't boast in anything. Not one thing, but in Christ. You think of Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac. One promised son. You think of God sacrificing his only son. And and the wrath of God poured out on his son on your behalf. Not only your sin, but my sin. Every believer's sin that ever lived from the beginning of time. The anxiety, he, per, he perspired blood just thinking about it. 
and asked God, he said, if it be your will, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but thy will be done. Christ willingly took it. Isaiah said, Isaiah said that it pleased the Father, pleased him, satisfied him, satisfied his justice, so you could be made just in the sight of God. Let's pray. Merciful Father, we thank you for this great grace. We thank you that we were justified by works and the works of Christ alone. We thank you for your wrath, for apart from it we could not be justified. We thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ who died, was dead and buried, rose again on the third day. Lord, to you be the, the praise, the glory, and the honor forever and ever. It's in Christ's name we all pray, and all of God's children said, Amen.